think we'll start in Mark chapter 12. There comes a point as a preacher where you can you can kind of go, well, really there's too much preaching. We just need to start living it out. You know, some people are waiting for answers that they don't need before they make a decision. In Mark chapter 12, this is Jesus, and it says, And then he began to speak to them in a parable. A man planted a vineyard and sent a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat to build a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Okay, pause there for a second. I'm on a theme, I feel lately, of trying to define what I feel is a fatal flaw. Well, fatal is not the right word, a powerless flaw in the church world today. And in most, many of our churches, I'll say, because of a lack of really understanding that you're born again, that you're a new creature in Christ, how many are glad you're a new creature? We have a vocabulary in our culture that has been accepted as being Christian in Christianese. It's Christian talk, you know. If you're unsaved, you go to some churches, you might get a little bit embarrassed when they start talking about blood and sacrifices and that type of thing. And we have songs about all the blood. You know, it's like, well, what, 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 what kind of place is this, you know? And so we have a Christianese in our culture. It's mostly accepted. And when a Christian vocabulary and Christianese become accepted as being doctrine, that it becomes gospel, that means that it's not touchable. This is truth. And, and I have a very, uh, I've listened to people tell me what they said was truth and trusted it to be truth and found out it wasn't truth, that I quit trusting what people say is truth, including myself. <laughs> and so I have a, a belief that personally, a standard, that I don't tell someone it's truth unless I know it's truth. I don't tell someone this is God unless I know it's God. Because how many people have heard someone say, God told me to tell you, and it wasn't God. You found out they had other motives behind or just were confused. And so much so, how many, for me, I don't know, about, don't know about you, I don't ever, there's only, there's only a few men in the world that they say God said that I take notice and stop and say, okay, that's God speaking to me. Uh, maybe two in the world. And uh, everyone else, if they said, God said, I smile and say, okay, but I don't believe them. Because we have, in our Christianese, used the word God said with a lack of deep fear of God. So we have many people prophesying if they understood that they could destroy people with their prophesying. And they're accountable for that. They'd be afraid to prophesy. Uh, John was telling me how his son, Connor, uh, when he was younger, a few years ago, someone came up to him, a man uh, of leadership, not from our church, but a man of leadership that Connor respected as a, oh, maybe a 10-year-old boy, and said, Connor, the Lord told me to tell you, 
you are called to be a pastor. Well, this prophet did not consult his parents before he prophesied that to this young man. And went about his day happy that he prophesied to a 10-year-old. Now, here's the concern from dad, from John and mom Carmen over their 10-year-old son. God's not spoken to us yet that our son's to be a pastor. But now our son has been told by someone he respects that that is God's will. He might make decisions in life trying to do what he feels God wants him to do. And so there's a lot of danger in prophesying to people and speaking the word of God. And I think if we understood how holy God is, we might show a little more fear of God, respect to saying God said, not just for my own self, but for you as well. In the way we preach, the way we teach, the way we talk to people. The majority of people who said to me, God said, God wasn't talking to them. God did not say that to them. So there's voices that we hear that aren't from God. It can be the devil, but how many know it can also be your outward man? That you wear a flesh that tries to speak to you. I remember when God told me, he said, um, I want you to uh, not preach and travel. I want you to sit and pray and get to know me. That was okay for a while until we started to get to the point where there wasn't definitely not enough money for the next month. You know, we squeezed through for a while, but then it got to the point. And I remember it was February 1st, was coming, it was two weeks away, and we didn't have the funds. And I was at a place where God had kind of tricked me into walking with him where I lost the old Alan, the ambitious Alan who could go fix it every time. And I remember sitting there and thinking, okay, God, this is it. He never changed his plan for me. I had to just accept it. And I finally said, okay, I'm not going to be the preacher who has to tumble every month to make it and put the pressure on people. I won't be that kind of preacher. So I decided, okay, this is it. February the 1st, live or die lose the house, everything or not, I'm going to follow you. And I decided I'm going, to, I'm going to quit fighting this. I'm in. And then I heard God speak to me and say, good job, okay, but you should fast and you should double pray for the next two weeks. And I thought, okay, that's yes, I'll do that. And then another voice who was God said to me, That wasn't me. (laughs) And they sounded the same. And what the second voice said to me, that wasn't me. I would never have asked you to walk through this if you weren't already there to walk through this. And the first voice was my flesh trying to jump in to tell me how it would work with God. We Okay, if you're going to quit striving to make your life work, then at least let us strive to please God enough with our works. We'll offer him fasting, and we'll offer him extra prayer time to try to purchase his love for us to provide for us. Because your outward man knows God as God way up in heaven, but it does not know God as a father. 
Because God is not the father of your flesh, but he is the father of your spirit, your inner man. And that's why when you hear God speak to you, he speaks to you spirit to spirit. He speaks to your inner man. That's the new you. That's the real you. That's the, the person who you'll be with for eternity. You are not an inner man. You are not a spirit. You have a spirit. You have an inner man. Just like you have a hand. But if I were to cut your hand off, you would still be here. Just your hand wouldn't be here. You have an inner man. You have a new nature. You are important to God. But unfortunately, you also have a flesh, an outward body. We need to, as a church, come to an understanding of what the inner man is and what the flesh is. Because if you don't, you begin to get it all jumbled up and you think your flesh is you and you're the flesh. So when someone comes up to me and says, I am an alcoholic. Well, really the question is, are you born again? Yes. So you're really not an alcoholic. You're born again, believer, righteous in Christ, but you struggle with alcoholism. Well, yeah, but when I wake up in the morning, I want to drink. (laughs) Okay, so where does that want to come from? Because we have Christianese. I'm born again. I'm the righteousness of Christ. Praise God. You know, hey, hey, uh, you sinners, you're just, you just need to know who you are. That's all. Just know who you are and all the bad desires will float away. Just worship God and love God and all that wrong desires will disappear. I'm still waiting for a few things to disappear. (laughs) And because of this lack of understanding, we have actually come to a place of where we begin to beg God to help us to change. Because we really, most people really want to change. Do you want to stay an alcoholic? No, I hate it. I hate it. It's destroying me. It's destroying my family. I hate it. I went to prayer, I went to the altar, and I said, God, I hate this. I want it out of my life. And God let me down. He didn't take it out of my life. See, the flesh, the body that you're wearing, (laughs) is your job to first deny it, restrict it, resist it, and ultimately mortify the desires and deeds that come from your body. The reason it's so important we learn these things is because I'm tired of going around the mountain as the church world again and again and again. When we cry out for revival, what we're saying is, God, you've wanted to send revival for 2,000 years and keep it here. But because men have been able to be deceived and and filled full of religion, you are unable to produce revival the way you want it on the earth. When other churches say we're believing for revival, what they're saying, not other, when many churches say they're believing for revival, many of them are saying, God, you have a plan and a purpose for our generation, that we're born for such a time as this, that you place us in this earth 
for revival. This is a season for revival. And now you're sending revival. As if he's held it back for, you know, the people a generation ago. That we get to look back and say, we're special, too bad. You know, God likes us more than you. So he sent revival to us, but not to you. And even in our language, I remember one guy, he was raising funds on TV. And he said, I can't remember what year it was. Because they have special models for every year, you know, depending on the year. Like, you know, 2020, we should have had more hindsight, more vision for 2020 than what many of the prophets had. <laughs> and, and so, you know, this is a year of jubilee, someone would say. It's the 50th year of this year coming up. And so on January 1st, and when the clock ticks over from midnight to the beginning of the new year, God's going to be able to do more than he did last year. So at that moment, if you're believing for a healing, if you're believing for a financial breakthrough, this is your year because it's the year of Jubilee. It's the right number to believe God for a better year for you. And we all know 21 is going to be better than 20 as it is anyway. <laughs> but it's not because God has special, been waiting for the year 2021. But that language is in our culture. That God's going to be do something better next year because the number changes. And I remember hearing that and thinking, okay, wait a minute. If my aunt is dying in her deathbed, and it's uh, December 31st, and the doctor says to me, Sir, I'm sorry, but your aunt has one hour to live. And I look at my aunt, I say, Aunt, hold on. It's 10 p.m. If you can hold on for two hours, when the clock ticks to the next year, God will be able to heal you. Hold on, aunt, hold on. See, it doesn't make sense to you, but in Christianese, it totally makes sense. There's been accepted platitudes, words that make you feel better, but don't change one thing. And it allows us to live 20, 40 60 years on a path that will end up in the same powerlessness that is produced prior. I don't want to spend my life in a powerless walk that doesn't produce at least a step forward into revival. The least that I want to do is bring to effect the message enough that it will bring the next generation closer to truth, closer to revival. My heart is to walk into revival. Into revival to us is not a bigger crowd. Revival is to us that the crippled kid that is brought here by the mom, every crippled kid will be healed the moment we pray. Because that's what Jesus would do. You all can see that I'm believing for a miracle in my physical body. But I'm not, my miracle is not hung on the the coat rack of revival. My miracle is hung on the coat rack of the word and on the promises of God. That's where my faith is. I'm not waiting for revival to come. I know that God has already come and provided a way for miracles to happen. Say amen if you're still with me. 
So the picture I'm trying to paint is that much of the New Testament church has adopted a relationship with God from the Old Testament saints. And the way they fellowship, the way they talk to God, the way they operate with God is based on Old Testament rules. Old Testament rules were made for an unborn-again people, a people who were, who were serving God but were not born again. You are born again. You're not to live by those rules. And why it's confusing is mainly because you're still wearing a body that is not born again. This outward man that you're wearing has its own thoughts and desires, and you're wearing it. Now God's going to replace it with an eternal body. Praise God. An eternal body means that the moment you get it, you're not going to have a fight with it. It's not going to want... I don't know how it's going to work. I'm sure I'm still going to want cheesecake. But maybe maybe my eternal body will be happy with broccoli and asparagus. I don't know. But it won't want sin. It won't want evil. It won't age. It won't get sick. It won't be slow. It'll be fast and healthy for the rest of eternity. And that's why we are waiting for that new body. And while we're waiting, our job is to mortify the body we're wearing. And mortify doesn't mean kill. It means, well, it means kill, but it doesn't mean to actually stop it from existing. Because then you go right to heaven. It means to mortify its deeds and desires. It's what it tells you to do to first resist it and then to mortify it. In other words, the mortification of your outward man did not happen the moment you were saved. That's why you, six weeks after you're born again, you begin to question, am I really born again? Because <laughs> some things just didn't change. I thought all that was going to change. So we have a whole religion that's in our culture. I feel this is the theme that God has me on lately. It's trying to expose it. Because that's not where we're going. I used to think what I had learned in my upbringing of church was like a tree. That's my roots. That's my tree. That's what I've been learned about. That's what I learned about God. That's how I learned how to operate in faith, how to walk with God. And it's a tree. And then I thought, well, you know, Pastor Dave's message, the walk of the Spirit, that's like, that allows me to go higher. <laughs> I get to grow further than the other guys because I've added praying in tongues <laughs> and more spiritual things. But the Lord told me, no, it's a different tree. They both get you to heaven, but one is based on Old Testament truths. The other one's based on a New Testament walk with God. Some is based on an Old Testament truth. Choose ye this day blessing or cursing. That's an Old Covenant truth that is meant for unsaved people who were following God. That no longer exists, by the way. The moment Jesus was resurrected from the dead, there no longer is such a thing as a man serving God that's not born again. The Old Testament way to God stopped the moment Jesus was resurrected. So choose ye this day, blessing or cursing. And that brought in beliefs 
into the Christian culture that says if you go through a bad season, it's because you, you made bad choices. The first time I met that philosophy was when I got excited about following God and praying in tongues and started to seek God, and the devil came to stop me. <laughs> and he tried to starve me out. <laughs> and he tried to battle me and hit me and punch me to get me to stop praying and stop seeking God. How many experienced that? And we hear all the time, man, I start praying in tongues like you taught me to, and all hell's breaking loose. And the guy who doesn't pray in tongues came to me and said, well, maybe you're making bad choices. If you're going through bad things, like not having a lot of money, or problems in the family, problems in the marriage, problems in your... your it's because you chose curses. Have you been tithing? Because if you're not tithing, you've chosen to be cursed. Don't even pray, my brother, for God to help you if you haven't tithed. Not only did I hear hear that, I used to preach that. Be in the prayer line and some lady, I need prayer for my family. Wait a minute, have you been tithing? No, sorry, I can't pray for you. But it's so much in our Christianese that we have to be careful as we seek revival, to root, uproot, and root out the false Christianese. When I suffered the battle with the stroke, I can send you my emails and letters of well-meaning people who use that kind of philosophy. Well, brother, you must be sinning. You know, you open the door for the devil. And I understand some of that principle. But it's like, okay, which sin do you want me to pin this on? You know, the extra cheesecake, the driving too fast, you know, which the exaggerating, the preacher exaggeration. We didn't have a, we, we really didn't have 180 people born again. We had 179, you know, but I, I had to, I rounded up instead of rounded down. You know, when I went to the doctor's office and they put me on the weigh scale, they said, you know, I was embarrassed because on the chart I wrote about 15 pounds less. When they said, well, how much do you weigh? I, I minus 15 pounds. And I thought, that's, about, that's my goal weight, so that's good enough. And then they went and put me on a scale and caught my lie and crossed it out and put the real weight. Maybe we can pin that on my, the stroke that I had. I opened the door for the devil. But that's based on a philosophy that choose ye this day blessing and cursing. Now, when God dealt with the Old Testament saints, he was dealing with Let's see, how do I... Sometimes I start in the middle. i got to go back. and. God created Adam in his image, perfect, complete. In the very image of God, Adam was as pure as God was pure, as perfect as God is perfect. Looked God right in the eye, did not feel inferior or weak or embarrassed about anything. He was as pure and holy as God was holy. And then he sinned, and he received that nature of sin. And now he was a different creature, a creature of sin, of darkness, instead of a creature of light. And you know this from the born-again trail. So when, when someone says, well, why didn't God just forgive him? Well, God did forgive him. Adam stood in front of God and said, I love you, and meant it with all his heart. I love you. And God looked at Adam and with all his heart said, I love you and meant it. But now Adam is a different species, a different creature than God. He no longer was the son that he had created. He was now a species, a creature of darkness, a man 
with a different nature than God. You all understand that from the Born Again Trail. Thank God for Pastor Dave. So God had to deal with man, not as a child, you're my child, but as a different species. And the best way I can describe it is that we had a little dog named Maddie. And Maddie loved me. I was her favorite, which is, you know, I'm lucky because usually Chrissy gets the dogs. To, they love her and ignore the rest of us in the house. Well, Maddie, though, was before kids. Maddie loved me. It was very clear that I was her favorite. And before kids, people would make fun of us because we'd be at the church talking and they'd, we'd be talking about Maddie like, you know, you're supposed to talk about your kids. You know, you should see Maddie. She was so cute. She did this and that. And, and our friends would say, you guys need children. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved Maddie as much as I could. I loved Maddie. And Maddie loved me. But the problem was, we were different species. We were, had different natures. We were different beings. So my love for her had to be restricted by her being a dog. I'll never forget the day Maddie discovered she was a dog. She thought she was my daughter. And we were visiting Christy's family, and Christy was on the couch holding a newborn niece, I think, of hers. And just holding this little baby. And Maddie jumped up to sniff the baby. And Christy pushed Maddie off the couch. And Maddie's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Push me off the couch, Mom. Maddie jumped up to smell the baby. And Christy pushed Maddie, get off. And Maddie was confused. And then Maddie jumped on the back of the couch, on the side, walked up on the back of the couch behind Christy, And I and the baby as she walked by, but not turning her head as if to say, I'm not looking, but I'm really upset about it right now. And you need to notice that I'm upset. And Maddie walked right around and was ignored. And I remember making an announcement. It was so clear to me. I made the announcement to the family. I said, I have an announcement. Maddie has just discovered today that she's a dog. And I said, it's a sad day in Maddie's life because she'll, she'll now know for the rest of her life that she's only a dog. Well, I loved Maddie, and Maddie loved me. And, and I, you know, you could try to turn her into a child. Maddie, I don't have kids. I'm going to make you my daughter. I know some of you are like that, but that's okay. Now I'm going to make you my daughter. Okay. All right, so first rule, let's do our ABCs. Ready? A, every little girl needs to know ABC. A, B, C. Say it, Maddie. A, R. No, 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 no. A, R. And she tried, but she couldn't get the A or the B or the C until we got to the G. She can kind of put out a grrr in there. So we tried, but we were different species. So, you know, Maddie, I want you to be my daughter, but, you know, little girls don't go around sniffing other little girls' rear ends. So I need you to stop that. I need you to stop that. But something in her would make her do it. That's called her nature, right? See, the problem with me and Maddie is we had love, but we had different natures. Well, Maddie, I'm, you know, listen, no chasing cats, okay? Stop chasing the cat, no chasing cats. She'd go, okay, I want to be your daughter, I want to be your daughter. So she'd sit there, and a cat would go by, and she'd go, no chasing cat, no chasing cat. And then after about 20 seconds, she'd be chasing the cat. 
because that nature in her would push her to act like a dog, even though she wanted to be my daughter. She wasn't my daughter because I didn't love her. She wasn't my daughter because we were a different species. Are you with me so far? Well, that defines God with the Old Testament saints. That he loved them, but they were different species. So he had to love them the best that he could. But it's the same as me loving the dog. I had to teach my dog, which we use now. We use treats to encourage our dogs. I can yell at my dog. I can scream at my dog. I could command my dog, and my dogs just don't listen. Now, our neighbor's dog, they listen. My dog, I don't know what's wrong with me, but my dog won't listen. So I use the word treat, and they stop and do whatever I want. They've learned that, that is, that's the magic word. You know, like they've learned that they can sneak past me when I open the garage door. And that's the no dog allowed in the garage. So they're always waiting for me. For me, they can, I'm not as fast as my kids are. Or, or, so I open up the garage door and they're squeezing, trying to get around me. It's a fight. You know, I'm pushing them back and they'll get into the garage and there's no getting them out. You get in here right now and they'll go hide under the car. Get, I'm, I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. What are you going to do? You know, and so I have to go into the house and shake the treat box and say, treat, and there they are sitting there, obedient, perfect little puppies. As long as they have a treat. That's how God had to work with the Old Testament saints. Treat for a reward, punishment for disobedience. He had to treat them that way, because they were a different species than he was. He had to fence them in, Now, when I talk about Old Testament saints, it's not talking about Gentiles. It's not talking about the Greeks or the Romans. Specifically talking about the family of Abraham. The children of God, the children of Israel, that had one specific purpose. They only had one purpose. They weren't special. They weren't specialer than the Gentiles were. In God's eyes, he loved the Gentiles as much as he loved Israel. But he needed Israel. He says that he picked them because they were the least of the least. He needed them to go through generations so that legally he can birth Christ within them as a savior. And then once he was birthed legally within the family of Israel, then he could allow Jesus to be a savior for the whole world. The whole Old Testament are the rules and standards of God given to a people that were only flesh creatures. They only had the natural man. Their nature was dark and death. So God's operation with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant people, was only one thing. You have one job, Israel, to bring Jesus to you. I'm going to prove to you you're not saved and that you need a Savior, and then I'm going to send a Savior through you, and then once that happens, the whole world can be saved. And so to manage that crazy group of non-born-again flesh creatures, he had to put rules and regulations, a fence around, the same way if I don't have my fence in my yard, every time there's a little crack in our fence, our little dog disappears. 
It's like, wow, freedom. He runs out and we have to go hunt him down before he gets lost. I don't know if anyone would steal the one we have, but, but you know, he could get lost. So we go, we go rescue him and lock him back in the fence. <laughs> well, we know that with the new nature that God no longer has laws outside of us because the law is within our heart on how to live righteous and holy. That's the new nature. You now, being born again, have the nature of God in you. You're no longer a, a different species. You're of the same family of God. And so I see in our Christianese, our church world today, so much of it is based on old covenant rules where God had to communicate to a different species. Instead of new covenant, new testament, born again rules where he communicates to his children, to his sons and daughters. And in that, we have built whole ministries and religion on how to appeal to the outward man of people. Because you know you can get born again and still go to heaven, considering you don't struggle with some you know, really dark sins that could take you to hell. You know, there's definitely some things you can play with that will, you'll give up your salvation playing with. Other things, you know, if, you're, if you exaggerate about your weight at the doctor's office, which is, I've learned don't exaggerate at the doctor's office. They'll catch you. <laughs> Please get on the scale. No. <laughs> I told you my weight. That's my weight. We don't believe anyone on the weight scale. I'm sure I was the 31st person that day to lie on my, my paperwork. You know, just look at your driver's license. What weight do you have on your driver's license? Well, are, are, you better repent or you're going to go to hell, you know? <laughs> you know, like, I'm sure exaggerate on your driver's license is not bad enough to get you to hell. But there are some things you can play with that you'll give up your salvation for. They're that dark. But God now, because you're born again, can communicate with you spirit to spirit. Now, let's pause there, because what does that mean? Spirit to spirit. What does that mean? Part of the Christianese I want to expose during this season is what we call spiritual. Because what many people call spiritual, really, I would call emotional. Emotionalism is not spiritual. Spiritual is like me teaching my daughter of the same species a... B, C. See, spiritual to God is anything that comes from Him. It's not an experience. It's Him with you and in you. Because He is spirit. Your inner man is a born again and alive because of the new nature. Now your inner man, your spirit, can communicate with God. And all that would be great. Except He had to leave us in this old body. This natural man. He couldn't get rid of it and switch it because of, is I guess, just simply because it's such a complex process to get people out of the family of Adam and into the family of God. And who's more amazing than God that he found you and rebirthed you. You're born the first time by Adam's family, rebirthed you by his family. 
And somehow, he's rebuilding every part around you. So in the end, in eternity, when we have the new earth and the new, the new universe, we'll be standing there in new bodies, a new nature, an inner man that's alive. And I will still be there. Because the, the transformation that he wants for you to go through is not, not an evolution. Like, I was a, a good human. I got born again. Now I'm a superhuman. No, you're a different species. You're not human anymore. You're no longer of the family of Adam. So the transformation is not going from being a good human to a great human. From being a, a bad human to being a good Christian human. It's not an evolution, it's a transformation from one species, Adam's species, into a whole different species, a child of God species. Say amen if you're still with me. Amen. So the transformation that happens, that God's will is for you, it'd be similar if I got a little rat and said, hey, I'm going to reborn you, rat. And then I rebirthed the rat and put a new nature in it, but the nature I put in it was an eagle. But it's still wearing a rat body. And the rat body is trying to tell it what it needs to be a happy rat body. But that rat body can never fly and soar. But yet inside of it is a nature that says, you're an eagle now. I don't feel like an eagle. I don't think like an eagle. Maybe I'm not an eagle. I'm going to tattoo wings on my back and say I'm an eagle. I identify with my eagleness, but I still can't fly. Well, that's why there is a metamorphosis, a transformation that you have to go through that doesn't happen instantly. What happened instantly in you was you got the nature inside of you, but you didn't get the transformation yet where you grew wings to fly. A butterfly, that happens to a butterfly, but it's in its DNA of a caterpillar. So when it goes in the cocoon, its body goes in and says, yes, I'll just sit here. Well, your body was never designed to be in a cocoon to fly. So it's going to fight you every second that you try to keep it in the cocoon so you can transform into that eagle. So that's the transformation that God wants from us, to go from one species to another. So God didn't, just didn't find the rat here and say, hey, rat uh, Steve, good to meet you. Yeah, I'm here to get born again. Okay, rat Steve, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, come here, rat. Come here, little rat Steve. Good. Welcome to heaven. Now he's dead. And then he takes an eagle egg and takes a little baby eagle and says, I'm going to name you Steve. See, that's not the transformation. That is causing one person one rat named Steve to stop existing and just renaming another species, an eagle, Steve. Well, Steve disappeared. He stopped existing when, if you squished him. That's the amazing transformation that God has for you, that he's been able to rebuild everything around you but not make you disappear. That's impossible. It can't happen, but only through God could it happen. I believe that this work, this amazing work that God did in salvation, took more energy from God than creating the whole universe just for you to be transformed into a child of God.
So if you want to know where the real difference between, I can call, I'm trying to be not too controversial, what I would call the confused New Testament church world compared to what I believe revival needs to come through, a, a true church that understands the truth and walks in the truth, is that one is trying to teach you how to let your, your rat body act like an eagle instead of teach you how to transform into an eagle. And so we have churches where they have built their whole experience around appeasing your outward man. Because your outward man wants to know God. Your flesh wants to know God. That's why you have people who are not born again, who devote their whole life to religion. As much as your outward body has desires. See, how many know that around, if I preach past one o'clock today, you're more trained. So around 1215, I'll start getting the evil eye. Because something's going to be speaking to you. That's going to be your stomach. Now, hunger is not a thought. You don't think hunger. You don't tell your body, you're hungry now, I'll let you eat. Somewhere around a certain time of the day, this voice will speak to you. That's not a voice, an appetite, a desire that will say, feed me. Now, you can be disciplined in life. You can have disciplined yourself to eat carrots, salads, broccoli, asparagus. But I'll guarantee, even though you've disciplined yourself to eat like that, that hunger is still going to show up and say, feed me. And you may have disciplined yourself to eat carrots and broccoli, but you still have that hunger. You cannot make yourself not hungry. We can make a lot of money if we did that. (laughs) So that hunger, that appetite, where does that come from? Your natural man, the body that you're wearing, the rat. I call it the monkey on my back. It says to me, feed me. Feed me. No, feed me. Shh, the preacher's still preaching. You got to wait. Feed me. You got a tic-tac. You got something I can put in my mouth. To... <laughs> feed me. And then the preacher's still preaching, and you start agreeing with your flesh. Amen, amen, good preaching. You know, always like, who will give me five more minutes? You know, <laughs> should I keep going? Always. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. <laughs> Why? Because there's an appetite, a hunger coming out. Where's that hunger coming from? Your outward body. It's not a thought. It's not a decision. I'm choosing to be hungry at 2 o'clock today. You know, women are more articulate when it comes to things. Sometimes Chrissy will tell me, like, you know, in about an hour I'm going to be hungry. Like she, she knows, like, when she's going to be hungry. And she's trying to maneuver to get me to go to the place that she wants me to go to. But see, that appetite for food, you all have that. That's coming not from your thought process of, I'm choosing to be hungry. That is a, a emotion, a feeling, an appetite of the body. You still with me? 
Well, same thing uh, where that, that appetite comes from is where your desire for sin comes from. I can talk to all Christians. Almost all of them will say, I really don't want to fight with sin. I want to be holy. But they've given up on trying to be holy because they couldn't find something to teach them how to walk out of it. All they were told was, just quit. Just quit. And they tried to quit, and then they failed. So then they've accepted a wrong doctrine that it's okay to just let your flesh do what it wants. Gary preached about that today a little bit. So that same place that where the hunger comes from is where your personal desire for sin comes from. And sin isn't always smoking, drinking, and chewing. It can be anger, jealousies, envies, selfishness, all those things. The source of your fight is your outward body, not you. That's why when someone could be here today and could be kind of a, an angry Christian, you ever know, how many know some angry Christians? You know, like you just push the wrong button and, and arr, comes out of them, you know? Ask me at 12, 15, I'll be dealing with a bunch of angry Christians. <laughs> and so the moment they die, they're in heaven. Are they angry in heaven? They're not angry in heaven, but they're angry here on this earth. A minute ago, you were angry, but now you're around Jesus and you're not angry? What happened? Well, the source of that anger, the natural body, is here on this earth, and you're no longer wearing it. So when you struggle with something, it's your struggle. It's what you're struggling with. It's not who you are. If you play with it long enough, you'll start to make it who you are, and that's when you lose your salvation. So you're wearing this outward body. We think in our Christianese, I was a sinner. I was mean. I lied. I had emotions. But now that I'm born again, I am taking my good emotions and making them great. And I'm taking my bad emotions and I'm diminishing them. And they think that's the process of transformation. That's not the process of transformation. Because even a rat has good emotions. A little rat mama will lay its life down protecting its little babies while it poops on your rug. But it will lay its life down for its babies. So a little rat has love like you have love. But now that you're born again, your inner man is brought to life because of the new nature you now have access to a love that doesn't come from the rat world. It's not an evolutional rat love. It is not a human love. It doesn't exist in the human realm. It comes from the mind and heart of God because you're now a child of God. So the difference is, now that you're born again, you have emotions that come from dark world. And you have emotions that come from the light world, the spiritual world. You have emotions that come from the natural man. And you have emotions that can be cultivated that come from your inner man. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit is named as love, joy, 
peace. These are emotions that you'll run around heaven with and the rest of eternity with, but you don't have to wait until heaven to experience them. You can have them now. So there's a love that you can have from the inner man, from the spirit, that is from a different world than the love that you have from your natural man. But because of our Christianese, we have accepted a love that's special, but it's natural. But that's as useless and powerless. You may get people to like you when you feed them because you care for them, but it won't get them raised from the dead. But there is a love that comes from God from the spiritual realm that will mean that you're willing to lay your life down to see someone else's kid healed. And we have to, I believe it's our job at the press center to define the difference because we have a whole culture that are all standing for revival the way we are, but they're standing from a different place. We have the same words. You ever have a, anyone here ever have a toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, Bible-to-Bible showdown with a Mormon? It's difficult. Hey, brother, you need Jesus. Well, you need Jesus. You know Jesus? Oh, yeah, we love Jesus. Yeah, but no, 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 no. You understand, you got to get born again. Oh, praise God. Yeah, we're born again. Uh, You need the Holy Ghost. Yeah, the Holy Ghost. We know. Well, you need. Well, we have a burning of the bosom. They have exactly the same vocabulary that you have. You say Jesus, they say amen. You say Father, amen. Holy Spirit, amen. They're the exact same vocabulary, but their Jesus is different than our Jesus. Their experience with the Holy, their Holy Spirit is different than our Holy Spirit. But they call it the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Well, we have the same problem with our Christianese. We have a whole culture that's built around appeasing your outward man. And Christians living successfully in their outward man, but never stepping into the transformation to allow their inner man to overtake their outward man. And it's so much in our culture, no one knows the difference because we say the same things. When we say we're standing for revival, there'll be a thousand churches today, right now, saying, amen, we're standing for a revival with you. But their pathway to revival is different than our path to revival. They're trying to talk God into coming we know that he's already wanted this for 2,000 years. He's just waiting for someone to mature into it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. Maybe we'll go back to Mark after this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. In that he says, a new covenant he has made, the first obsolete now that what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And the argument is Hebrews is get out of the old covenant and old relationship with God because there's a new relationship with God because you're born again. So he entrusted, I'm going back to Mark chapter 12. He entrusted, uh, entrust is not the right word, he stamped the Israel people with a duty. That meant that they had to work harder than all other nations. They had to restrict where they lived, how they lived. The nation of Israel had a purpose to bring Jesus through them. But once Jesus came through them, they were just like every other nation. They had to come through Jesus like everyone else. The only thing special about them 
was that they carried the oracles of God so they should have recognized Jesus right away. But Israel did not want to recognize Jesus right away. They wanted to carry on their relationship they had with God because they had a relationship with God as Old Testament unborn-again people. But all that stopped existing. The ability to go to God, have a, a walk with God, stopped the moment Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Because the whole purpose of Israel, the whole purpose of the Old Testament was to bring Jesus into the earth so that the whole world could be saved. And after Jesus came, there was no longer a pathway to God outside of Jesus being born again. Well, the Israel people, priests, Pharisees, wanted to keep that going. And that was much of the battle that Jesus had with the Pharisees was trying to say, no, you're going to have to accept that there's a new path coming and your job won't be here anymore. If you don't, you're going to end up in hell. That's why when Mary came and the brothers came to see Jesus, the little disciple walked in and said, Jesus, your mother's here and your brother's here to see you. It's like sending a little usher in and Jesus says, well, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? But those who believe in the word of God. I know if I sent a little usher out to tell my mama that, I've come, I made a special trip to see my son, Alan. He's preaching here today. Oh, let me go tell him, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. Alan says, who's my mother? (laughs) Who's my brothers? I don't, my mom would knock knock the usher out, (laughs) knock the door down. I don't care if you're Jesus or not. I'm your mama. Well, what he was telling Mary was, you may have birthed me, but you're not going to go to heaven because you birthed me. You may have raised me, but that doesn't give you special access to heaven. You must accept me as your Lord and Savior, just like everyone else. And that's the message to Israel. All the stuff that you did, the 613 laws you lived by for generation after generation, the, the obeying God, the protecting, not being able to marry outside of into other nations, all the history was only so that Jesus could be born again. But we paid this price. We've held on to this. We've been faithful. We want to be valuable and we keep going with God. And the message to the Jews was that pathway no longer exists. Now listen to what I'm saying. The pathway of the old covenant no longer exists as a pathway to God. It only made the way for Jesus to come. The rules and regulations that God gave them in the Old Covenant was much like building a fence and using treats and punishment to manage your animals because they're different species than you are. We have a new path that we can walk in. It's a path of righteousness and holiness where the law is not on the outside as a fence, it's on the inside as our nature. But so much of our Christianese that's out there that defines American Christianity has held on to old rules, old covenant, because the flesh knows how to handle God in the old covenant. The outward man accepts God as God up in heaven, but it will never accept God as a father who loves you unconditionally. And that's why when God speaks to you and says, I want you to do this. 
and he leads you down a path. And your inner man goes, yes. Your outer man goes, we're going to die. And you hear that vocabulary in people. Yeah, I felt fear on the outside, but I had peace on the inside. Well, it's easy to understand. You have an inner man that's alive, that is connected to God and loves God, is birthed of God, and has a nature of God. While you're wearing an outward man that's still alive, it exists, but it doesn't know God that way. So your outward man is constantly trying to get you to go under religion where it understands God. As much as your outward man is tempted to pornography, fornication, all those really worldly things, do you know that your outward man can equally be attracted to religion and regulations and rules? And both of them are sin. Both of them are powerless to walk into a true revival. We have so much of our American Christianity. Their word for spiritual is emotionalism, signs and wonders. When really just you praying in the Holy Ghost, where the Holy Spirit sits down with you, your inner man, and whispers the deep secrets of God into the mind of your spirit. There's nothing more spiritual than that. Well, I prayed for four hours, shandala, shandala, and it felt like nothing happened. Brother, that was the most spiritual thing you've ever had. Yeah, but that guy down the street, he went to church and they had open heavens and celebrations, and, but nothing changed. Nothing changed. Their outward man was entertained with a little trinket that didn't change anything but kept them there happy. We won't get to revival playing those games. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Here what he's saying is that God came and entrusted the vineyard to Israel, to basically the, the Pharisees, the high priests, He trusted the message of God to them. And now at at vineyard time, he sent a servant to the vine dresser, and he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. These are the prophets that were prophesying about Jesus. The vine dressers did not want to give up their right to run the vine. Again, he sent them another servant and At him, they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamelessly treated. And again, he sent another, and they killed him, and many others, beating some and killing some. These are all the prophets that prophesied about Jesus coming to replace their job. Your job as a Pharisee and a speaker for God no longer exists once Jesus comes, because that pathway is now obsolete the pathway to have a relationship with God outside of being born again is obsolete once the Savior has come. And again, he sent another, and they killed him, and many others. Verse 6, Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. 
But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So the vine dressers were after owning the pathway, owning the vines as the inheritance. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, they're the vine dressers that God leased the vineyard to. But every time he sent someone to harvest, they killed him. Every prophecy, every prophet that said, Jesus is coming, the Savior is coming, they stopped him because they were after the inheritance. They wanted to own the pathway to God. But that pathway stopped the moment Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And the only pathway to God was to be born again. We need the Church of America to stop acting like Old Testament saints and to start growing as children of God. Because the flesh, no matter how holy it is, is still a rat. No matter how much lovely it is, it's still a rat. Because the flesh did not get saved. The flesh was left to dead. It's going to rot off of you. It's going to fall off of you. And he's going to replace it with a new body. But that flesh has a voice that's so intimate to you. It's so connected to your inner man that it feels like that thought is your thought. But it's not your thought. It's the thought of your outward man. And it's your job to acknowledge this is my outward man and I'm not letting it tell me who I am anymore. I'm not letting it tell me how to be happy anymore. I'm not letting it tell me how to experience God anymore. Because God is the spirit and your inner man was birthed by God. God is the father of your inner man, but not the father of your outward man. And if you build your relationship in this world with through your outward man, you'll never experience revival. Never. It'll always be trinkets. And there's enough trinkets to keep you happy for your whole life. Make you think you're doing good when you're just entertaining that monkey, that rat. But inside of you is the birthing of an eagle that wants to fly and soar. And that's the transformation. Well, I want transformation now. Yeah, we all wish we had that. But it's, for whatever reason, we can go into some of that, but I don't want to go past my... I don't want to get into the second evil eye. The transformation takes time. It's not instant. What was instant was you got a new nature. But the transformation is you taking the outer man, its deeds, its desires. Because the desires of the outer man, again, they can be sin. But it's not just the evil, that come, the dark, the bad. It's also the good that comes from the outer man. Because the outer man will play good. What happens the day you decide to pray in tongues and you're in the prayer closet and after you do for a while, all of a sudden you start hearing these opinions. You know what? We can go out and we can win souls instead of just sitting here speaking gibberish. Did you ever hear that before? We can go out and we can feed the poor. Don't you think God would be pleased with that? See, that's your outer man negotiating with you, trying to tell you, Let's do good things for God so I can be a part of it. But when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, God's trying to kill that sucker. Our Christianese. I feel that that's the theme that God has me on is exposing the Christianese in our culture. Because we're not made of the same tree. 
Both trees are going to heaven. But the tree we're part of, the walk of the Spirit, is one that grows and doesn't stop growing. It doesn't stop at, you know, 10% miracles. It doesn't stop at a good work, a good experience. It goes all the way to revival. That's the path we're on. Let's keep it up. Let's keep pressing on. Go change the world and have a very Merry Christmas. If you like prayer, please come up to the Green Line. They will be happy to pray for you. God bless you.